Okay, today I'm speaking with Vicky Chen. Vicky's a former actress based in Singapore, and she works in the digital space, as she has done across Asia and Europe. She's a highly motivated entrepreneur responsible for the expansion of a number of organizations. Most notably, Vicky is a power organizer of the global award-winning non-profit female empowerment organization, She Says. And she's one of the founding team of Cartoons Underground, which we speak about a bit on the podcast, Southeast Asia's largest underground animation festival. Vicky was recently recognized and shortlisted for the Campaign Asia Women Leading Change 2017 Awards in the under 30 category, and she holds a board member role in the Data Measurement Committee for the Interactive Advertising Bureau. It was a relatively short podcast, 40 minutes, because uh, Vicky had a meeting to go to afterwards, but we did cover quite a bit in that time. And hopefully the sound's okay, it was, it was recorded over a headset from computer to computer. So yeah, enjoy this conversation. Here's my chat with Vicky Chen. Hey, Vicky, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, calling you from um, from the house in North Thailand. So, uh, yeah, hopefully the it's a pretty big storm's just started outside and the dogs are around. So hopefully the, hopefully we go well on sound quality, but we'll see. And um, yeah. <laughs> wh- wh- where are you today? Uh, I'm actually in Singapore right now. Cool. Just, um, well, it's Friday afternoon, so you're presumably coming to the end of the week, right, at the office? Yeah, that's right. So really excited. Uh, just two more hours to the end of the day. Um, one more meeting after you. So excited for that pint of beer. <laughs> awesome. Well, obviously, you know, part of t- today's chat, I really want to jump in and chat about Cartoons Underground. But um, before doing that, uh, you know, we know each other a little bit. I think we've met a couple of times socially through friends. Um, but I had to do a bit of research to, to you know, kind of find out about your career in, in kind of media and what got you to where you are. But I got to jump in with a question really, you know, around something you did when you're 21, because it was a thing that jumped out at me, uh, maybe because I'm in Thailand and maybe because it was a bit, a bit different, but it said at, at 21, you received your, yeah, you became a certified elephant driver, uh, a mahout. You got a mahout license, if that's how you say it. Um, it yeah. also said it all oh, across the Arctic circle at 23. There's two questions in here, but I, I'd love to know how you ended up with a, uh, a license for driving elephants. There must be a story behind that. Uh, very cool question. So, I mean, funny fact is that I actually don't even have my driver's license. Um, but I was like, you know, it's important that dr- knows how to drive an elephant, right? Because <laughs> uh, that's going to be so useful. Um, so basically, I went to Laos uh, when I was 21 years old and I fell in love with the place while we stayed in this elephant sanctuary at Pak Se. I can't remember what it's called right now, but we actually spent about uh, five days in this Pacific Eco Lodge um, where they only host like 10 people there at maximum. And my sister and myself were like, why don't we get an elephant's driver's license? So um, every day we actually got up onto an elephant not where you actually sat on the back, but on the head itself. And they taught us different um, words and different gestures, how you move your, your hips, your bum, how you pet the elephant to essentially get it to turn left, to reverse, to step on a, a wooden log in front of it, um, to not be scared. <laughs> so that, that's how I actually got my elephant's driver's license. And... Uh, unfortunately, it's only limited to the elephants in Laos because uh, the, the words that I know are in Laosian. So it doesn't actually apply to any Thai elephants. 
Well, there you go. I mean, it's a pretty interesting bit of trivia. I don't think I've met anyone um, who knows how to drive an elephant. And obviously, I, you know, I think it's, it's a pretty, um, it's a legacy thing now anyway, right? I think the whole elephant, the culture of, if it's called driving elephants, riding elephants is all changing anyway, certainly in Thailand. But um, yeah, did you ever do anything with that? Did you, did, did it, was it just a, you know, a bit of an adventure or, or you, you never went back to it? You never had your own elephant, I assume? I mean, um, I, I did try to save up to buy my own elephant, but, you know, living in a, a, an apartment with two bedrooms in Singapore wasn't really feasible. So, unfortunately, I didn't have another opportunity to actually ride an elephant again. Well, actually, probably, good. yeah, Singapore's not, not the place to be bringing up an elephant. Um, no. You'd be amazed, actually. I did. You'd be amazed what wildlife there is there in people's houses. I, a few years ago, I was doing some work for a software company that um, uh, provide solutions for charities. I forget the name, but I went to one of these um, animal rescue places and in the backyard, they had everything you can imagine, massive pythons. And most of them they find on the streets because people want them as pets and they get too big for, for an HDB and oh. they, they just get scared. So yeah, but uh, there were no elephants in there. That would have been pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> But the other thing you, the other thing that I, I have to ask about as well is the you then crossed the Arctic Circle at 23. Tell me about that. That sounds um, extremely. I've been to the Arctic Circle myself, not you know, not so long ago. Certainly not that age and on huskies. But um, yeah, what was that all about and how how did it come about? Well, I wasn't on huskies. I was in a van. Um, so so I was actually studying in France at the time. And um, we decided to take a trip down to Tromsø in Norway to go see the, the Aurora Borealis, so the Northern Lights. And so then we, we went there and there were a couple of, um, you know, things that we could do. And one of it was go, going to crossing that Arctic Circle and then going to see the Northern Lights. So it was something that I've always wanted to do when I was a child, um, never had the funds. But we managed to save up the money and as a group of students actually managed to do that and on a very good budget, I've got to say. And it was really amazing. You, did you get to see the Northern Lights? Did you have a good experience of them? Oh, yeah, I really did. I, I took quite a lot of photos. Um, it, it was really, um, I mean, something that I think uh, you'll never forget. And it was something that was just really incredible, like, that the world, like, you know, it just feels like you're actually so insignificant and small in the world, but it's so amazing to actually witness something so um, beautiful like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw them as well. I think it was about 10 years ago I went there. And I, to this day, I mean, maybe it was longer ago, but I've not done a more, um, you know, kind of inspirational trip. Um, I mean, I did mm -hmm. it. Uh, it was only a four-day trip on, on, uh, with Huskies. But, yeah, the day four, we got the most amazing display from the northern lights um and it is something that i think anyone should do so i, I think you're one of the first people i've met that's, that's done it certainly in this part of the world although i mean thousands of people have done it it's not a it's certainly not mm -hmm. not that extreme these days but yeah 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 it's really far away from here that's for sure yeah for sure so um you've been uh, you work in and correct me if i'm i'm wrong you work in digital media but animation is something that is presumably yeah, a passion of yours is something you've you've been involved in for some time and you know you've headed up this cartoons underground event that, that's coming soon you know what got you into animation is, is that something that you've been into since a kid is it something you know more recently or 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think that I mean, as as a kid, I think all kids love animation, right? Everyone loves watching cartoons, and um, as I grew up, I realized that you know I still like watching cartoons. So, <laughs>、um, how I got into it was pure by pure coincidence, really. Like、uh, I was really into art. You know, I did a lot of art,、um, painting, drawing. Tried to get into animation. It's actually a very difficult medium to to own. You need to have certain very、um, specific skill sets. Tenacity and patience to see a project really come to life,、um, and and I think that's what really fascinated me. And so,、um, essentially, I I managed to meet、um, Patrick Smith, who's actually my co-founder of Cartoons Underground. So a bit of background of Patrick is that he he used to direct MTV Daria, and he first started off. In MTV, you know all this MTV animation like Beavis and Butthead and so on. And he was here in Singapore teaching at the New York、um, University. So we we met, and he came back from a holiday、um, from New York, you know, after a summer, and came to me and said, "Hey, Vicky, why don't we start our own film festival here? Because there's nothing like it right now." Yeah. And true enough, there wasn't any animation festival. A lot of film festivals that come to Singapore are very.、Um, Culturally driven from the government, you actually sit in a cinema. You've got to pay,、um, you know, ten dollars to fifteen dollars for a ticket. And we wanted to change that because there, there seems to be a lot of um, um, separation between people who are artistic versus people who are not. And from my perspective, is that we shouldn't be looking at any kind of art form in that way. We need to make it accessible to people. Everyone likes watching cartoons, after all, right? Like. Who doesn't? Yeah.、Um, so that's how you know Cartoons Underground was born. Where I basically, as well as Patrick, created this festival where I wanted to go to, even as a 28-year-old right now, and even when I become 50. So we wanted to have this animation festival, which showcased a lot of good works that we see in Singapore, in Malaysia, in Thailand, all across the region, alongside with award-winning film directors from Germany、um, and internationally acclaimed directors. So. What we wanted to curate was basically show showcase not that not just that animation is limited to the likes of Disney or for kids, but animation can be explored as a medium for adults to consume content. But also that there's actually talent in Southeast Asia, and we wanted to give that platform to basically showcase that. So does the event operate?、Um... Uh, you know, is it a that there's a social aspect? Obviously, there's you know people who creative will go along, but is there a、uh, networking kind of business aspect to it where people will go and and potentially, you know, open up new career opportunities and, and meet mentors or, or employers and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's definitely one、uh, big part of it. So the film festival happens、uh, one time a year, but throughout the year we try to do features of local artists、um, and their works. And what we try to communicate,、uh, create is basically a community where, whereby studios like、um, you know Netflix or、um, One Animation, for example, or even Disney, they will come down to our film festival or sometimes connect with me to find students who are looking、um, to actually get hired. And also, one of the other things that we try to do is to expand the the horizons for these students. So most students who graduate from art school. Sometimes they limit themselves to being certain kinds of roles.、Um, to be very frank, there are only a couple of animation studios in Singapore. There are only a couple in in Malaysia and Thailand. They're all great, but 
what if you graduate and you can't get into an animation studio? What else can you actually do? So what we are trying to, to create also is to open up their minds to different types of fields that they can actually explore, be it if it's actual film production of live action, or maybe it's joining a creative agency like Ogilvy, for example. So opening up different paths that like, once you graduate, even with an animation degree or an art degree, what are the different paths that you can take to then get employed and then be successful in that field too and become maybe a direct creative director in the future, for example, or a producer in the future? Cool. You, um, you have me thinking of a question as you're saying that. Um, I, I think you touched on it at the beginning, but uh, you know, you were, you, you were brought up in Singapore, you were born and brought up in Singapore, right? You've, you've worked overseas a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. But certainly when I read your profile, it's interesting. It doesn't, you know, shine across as, as the typical kind of Singaporean, if you don't mind me saying that in terms of the advent, you know, the adventurous side, the, the you know, going to the Northern lights at that age. Um, you know, not that I, I just think, you know, that was my experience and it might be a bit of a legacy experience, but I remember uh, mentoring a kid about 10 years ago who was having a real struggle with the fact he didn't want to be a lawyer and his family wanted to be a lawyer that, you know, this was kind of how I saw the, the UK maybe 30 years ago is has Singapore changed a lot in the last two years? Or is there still that kind of, you know, taking the conventional track is creativity still seen as a risky area or has this massive growth in content in the last, you know, four, five, 10 years really. Um, and, and the business opportunity changed the kind of, um, the view in, in, you know, the, um, you know, in the parents and the grandparents of what is a decent career. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I feel that um, parents haven't changed. They're still of the generation that they want their, I mean, the, the whole uh, premise of being a parent is to basically make sure that your child is safe and is yeah, secure. Um, and part of that is that if they leave the nest, that they are financially stable. So the most stable jobs are still with a parent, I think, being a doctor, a lawyer, and so on. But um, I feel that, like you mentioned, there's a lot more content that's out there now. And I feel like channels like even YouTube, Vimeo, um, there are a lot more platforms whereby um, content is being democratized. You don't need to pay a lot of money to create good content. And so um, what I'm seeing in Singapore is that students um, and young Singaporeans are not just bound to even if their parents want them to become a lawyer or a doctor, um, they're not bound to that because they now can make money in different viable ways, right? So um, I feel like they're becoming more adventurous. Um, what I'm noticing also, um, especially in the last couple of years, is that even when the students graduate with a law degree or a doctor degree or, or um, you know, all these different types of accountancy background, I'm actually starting to see them go into different fields um, that I think are very relevant today, be it if it's from, you know, uh, a law degree. Now some of them actually work in advertising or they actually go in a very creative field. So I feel like the, the degree part of it, like getting a degree is still very much ingrained in Singaporean culture that you need to have that as a baseline. But then what you do with the degree afterwards and if you can financially support yourself, I think um, young Singaporeans are becoming more um, adventurous with that. I'm also starting to see a lot more Singaporeans from my alumni school, which is um, Singapore Management University or SMU, uh, where they graduate and they're not even going to corporate jobs now. Like a lot of them are actually taking a gap year and either traveling or like starting their own 
businesses. So we're seeing also like, besides just going into completely different fields from what they've actually graduated in, they're also becoming more adventurous in terms of, you know, why not start their own business? Why not um, uh, try to find different ways of making money? So I think that's quite interesting and quite different. Yeah, I think, I mean, what you said there is probably not that different from, you know, anywhere else in the world, really, in terms of the, the view of traditional paths of education and securing a degree, regardless of whether, you know, you know you're going to go into that field of work. Um, it, yeah. it just struck me, I, you know, I think certainly I was in Singapore from, what, 2005. You know, back then, um, and I, I was just doing some work outside of my corporate job, which kind of got me into this space of working with youth and stuff. And I just came off across quite a few kids who... I mean, they were amazed that I'd traveled. I was like, really? You know, and, but I, I think that's just, I mean, everything's changed so much. That's 14 years ago. I forget how quick I'm getting old. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the other thing that probably adds to that is this whole entrepreneurial space and just the, I mean, that in 10 years in Singapore has put Singapore ahead of a lot of other kind of regional markets just in terms of co-working spaces, venture funds, startup culture. I mean, are you, I, I get a sense you're, you're in that space somewhat. I noticed you were, were you on a panel last night judging some or judging some, some venture fund. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, uh, Singapore is definitely the space where, I mean, a lot of businesses who are not actually based here actually set up businesses here because of the techs. Um, that they have here, the ease of um, starting a business, really. So, and then especially if you're Singaporean, like you do get like grants and things like that. So, I think definitely there is a very, it's a very favorable place to start business. The only thing is that the cost of living can be quite high, but hopefully with the grants and and the VCs that are based here, that um, hopefully that you you know it, it should make it a much better place to start a business. Yeah, what are those? Those be, I didn't look at the details last night, but you, the stuff that you're involved in there is related to your your professional day to day job, or related to, uh, of course, there's a crossover. I realise between the two, but related more to the animation stuff you do outside of um, your daily job. Yeah, so I, I mean, last night's um, event was around. Um, so last night's event is basically was basically the Viking Incubator um, by NHST Media. And they invited 13 startups to pitch um, to a panel of judges um, in efforts to win $10,000 and I think six months free of co-working space and mentorship and relationships that they can build. Um, and these are specifically startups in the media tech space or ed tech okay. space I currently work at. Um, but I was brought on it also partly because... Um, I run also, she says, Singapore. So they wanted to see, get people, someone from, you know, a diversity kind of background to see also different applications. Um, and also, you know, with Cartoons Underground, with the creative background of, of Cartoons Underground, essentially to see also where those applications could be in the creative industry. So like last night, we, we saw a few media tech startups, but I also remembered one of which, um, which had a VR, AR experience for live concerts where you can actually project uh, a VR AR on stage live in real time and people can actually see it. So wow. that's like quite, uh, yeah, that's like really amazing. I mean, I, I think they've done it in Korea and the US, but like no one has actually done it in, I think, Southeast Asia, at least not in Singapore yet. So there's a lot of money to be made there, not just from a live concert I, point of view. Um, I, I, I think I, it's- sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to butt in on you, sorry. Mm-hmm. 
um, I was just going to say, I've seen one of these overseas. Is this stuff really taking hold now? Is it like, you know, live? So, so what you're saying is you brought, you, you can broadcast a concert virtually to an audience virtually, uh, but they're in a physical location and the, and the, the band aren't. Do I get that right? So, so uh, what they have is a live concert where like you, you have your people at the, the stadium and you have, let's say, your singer and your dancers, right? But yeah. what they're saying is that they can actually put, let's say, a Pokemon or whatever that cool effect you want to have on stage and or whatever animation it is. And it's all like 3D looking. So it looks like the character is real and it can be done in real time live. So right now where, where live concerts are at right now, it always has to be superimposed afterwards. It's not actually live. Um, they only oh, put okay. these afterwards, but in this case, it's like you can make a very almost interactive type of design um, and people can see it live. You know what? I just realized where I'd seen it actually. I saw it on an episode of Black Mirror. Do you watch Black Mirror? Yeah, <laughs> I, I watched Black Mirror. <laughs> so the latest episode of Black Mirror, that there was like three episodes in the latest series. And Millie Cyrus was in one of them, and it was all about mm. pop music being destroyed. Or anyway, it was exactly that. She was kind of on stage uh, as a virtual figure doing the concert. So I've got no idea. Yeah, I've no idea if the, the way they showed the technology to it. And of course, this is you know a TV show on Netflix. But you know, she was literally uh, there was a person in a in a type of kind of green screen suit with sensors and um, acting out. And then that projected, it was in another room and that projected then an image, which is a virtual yeah. image on stage. So, Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, it, it's definitely going to that level right now. <laughs> it, what other thing, have you got any, any other, you know, futures that are interesting like that in the, I don't know if that's necessary. Well, that's in what the tech media space, I suppose you call that. What are the other ingenu ingenuities? And um, yeah, I know Netflix, for example, had, you know, again, it's Black Mirror, I think, where you could, this interactive TV where you can start to choose the course of, um, you know, action of a TV show. I don't know if I really like it, but is that an area you know about? Is that something that's going to pick up? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, now everything is tracked, right? Your data is being tracked. A lot of people, um, I mean, in Europe, there are like GDPR and a lot of more laws in place to protect people's data. I think in Asia, we're not here yet. Um, the government can see a lot of things. Companies take advantage of it. Um, the space that I'm working in, we basically leverage data and technology to essentially serve people the right ads. So we're starting to see that, that like even in malls, you're being tracked, you know, what? Um, are you a woman? Are you a female, male? Are you uh, pregnant? Are you what ethnicity you are even? Um, you know, how old do you, are you? And, and these are different things that I think a lot of people don't understand they're being tracked, not just online on your desktop, but when you're on the move on your mobile phone, we can actually understand your user journey. So maybe online you're, you're looking up a lot of salads and a lot of um, health fitness um, things. But in reality, we see your phone is actually going to McDonald's like five times a week. Um, so like these are like, it's quite interesting because we are actually almost connecting like people's offline behavior, as we would say, with yeah. their online personas. And we would be able to kind of build a pretty um, complete profile of somebody. So I think that it's only going to get um, more um, intelligent, honestly. And I think that... Um, you know, governments and, and probably organizations will start having to step in to actually protect people's data. Um, 
that. Yeah, interesting. And I'm sure that'll, I mean, Singapore tends to be ahead of the curve on some of that stuff. At least once they catch up, then everything happens very quickly in terms of implementing um, legislation around it. So, Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, with Singapore, you see the amount of cameras that are around, right? And, and we consider ourselves like kind of a smart city. So you, you're essentially being tracked um, pretty much, I would say, all the time. But believe um, I believe you've been, to, you've been to Pi, right? Where I'm where I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It amazes, well, I mean, a lot of people on here wouldn't necessarily know Pi, but it amazes me that actually, you know, this little place is tracked now with cameras everywhere that link into the police station. Now that's of course nothing to do with clever advertising. Yeah. That's just to do with a tracking probably, you know, a backpacker that, you know, does something wrong <laughs> or whatever else. But it's pretty mad how many cameras there are just everywhere in the world now. That's true. Um, you touched on, she says, before and I, I wanted to ask you about it and apologies I know I couldn't get on your website before and so I didn't really have much of a look except I saw a, a profile and um, I, this I think is more a few years ago it, you know do you want to just talk a little bit about what she says is and what what you what you did I I noticed is Grace Clapham part of that who I know there's a, there's a group um, it's it's uh, yeah maybe I'll let you just talk about it yeah, sure. Um, so she says is a global nonprofit organization that helps empower women to break the glass ceiling. Um, we started the first chapter in Asia. So she says Singapore about seven years ago. So Grace was part of that as well as Lizzie Hamer and Mira and myself. And um, what we did with she says, which initially the she says concept is around the fact that um, 95% of creative directors in the world are actually men, not women. So there we, we saw a disparity in that, and that's what uh, She Says um, actually came about to actually address that. Um, but we've actually taken the concept of She Says and we've broadened this out uh, beyond just creative industries into PR, into media, into technology, um, into even finance in some cases. So what we, we do at She Says um, in Singapore is that we host these monthly events um, whereby we could either have a, a panel of speakers um, to speak about different topics. So be it if it's um, personal topics like women's mental health um, or confidence building um, to maybe more broad professional topics such as um, how do you do personal branding, um, how can you improve on your interviewing skills, um, how do you make the next career move or career change that you're trying to instill in your life. So that's uh, what she says does and we also have a very big social uh, community. So over the last seven years when we first started out it was only maybe about like 40 to 50 people in a room. Now we have close to 4,000 members and uh, we have a, we've also built out a whole mentorship section called Who's Your Mama program. So if you want to become a mentor or mentee, we match you up. And all of this is for free. So we believe in building a community um, you know, of women to support women and also have men to come in to support women too. So that's essentially what she says does. And, and what we really have, because it's all nonprofit, is that we have a really good team and volunteers who are very passionate about making this type of change in their lives and the change in their own companies and in Singapore who've dedicated the time and effort to make these events and um, these type of community activities to actually happen. Awesome, awesome work. And I, I imagine you've learned a lot through that process. Um, you know, as you're talking, I was thinking in terms of how you see that, you know, do you see that the um, you know, those lack of opportunities. It, previously, was it lack of opportunities, you think, that 
uh, meant those kind of numbers of men versus women in certain jobs? Was it lack of opportunities or lack of uh, awareness to how to go and take hold of the opportunity or combination of both? What's been the, you know, I know this is a, I mean, this is a heavily debated area, you know, around the world in terms of, um, you know, females in certain jobs and, and there's lots of arguments on every side and, um, you know, thankfully it's all changing anyway, but yeah, what, what is your learning through that um, in terms of what the issues have been? So my, my learnings, I think it's, it's twofold, right? For, from my perspective, um, to instill change, you need to have buy-in from every side. So that means you need to raise awareness that something like this is happening. So statistics like that is, is good because at least people know, and not just women, but men, everybody knows what is actually going on. So awareness is one part of it. I think the second part of it is then addressing that. So be it if you're a company or if you're an individual. So on a company level, what can you do to actually help instill these changes? Um, and, and on an individual level, what can you do to actually help you get the job? So I, I think what we are trying to do and what uh, the community really stands for is to drive awareness so that people understand um, what, what the landscape is, what the industry landscape really is like, um, to also uh, drive companies to make changes, to help them um, you know, grow in diversity, to understand what diversity even means, what is unconscious bias and these types of different topics. But on an individual level, as a woman, how can you equip yourself to best get that opportunity and nail that job? So that's how we're trying to target it in like kind of many different folds. So if you ever get the chance, Matt, um, I'll invite you to my next event when you're in Singapore. Uh, you'll see that on our panel, we actually have a very diverse panel. We yeah. usually have, um, you know, someone who is maybe a woman who's going through or have done, let's say, a career change, for example. And how did she do it? Then we might have another woman who is maybe in HR. So is on a company level. How can you actually instill the change in a company versus as an individual? And then we might have somebody else who's a recruiter. So as a recruiter who has an external third party, what does that mean? And then usually a fourth person that we might have on the panel is someone from the government or also a third party. Like how does that change um, can actually affect not just on a company individual level, but on a government level, what is the government doing about it? So in some cases, we would have a diverse panel like that to try to showcase different parts of, um, you know, how someone can actually achieve it in the audience. But also we can also address maybe the limitations of what a company really can do, what a limitation of what an individual or the government can really do. To at least give a more like balanced perspective, I think. So that's, 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 that's kind of what I've learned over the years by working at this organization that um, it's, it, it needs to be an effort that comes from every single direction, really. Yeah, very cool. And I'll definitely come to your, if I'm in Singapore, I'll better still invite me because when I do have to come there, I can always time the, yeah. you know, the, the, the trip around the event. I, I mean, it sounds, I, I'll have a good look at the website afterwards, but in terms of, have you managed to kind of lobby for any change or has it just been, you know, working at a community level and supporting people? Um, so I think we are more in the community level, honestly, um, in terms of, um, yeah, it's more individual driven. In terms of companies, we have worked with companies like um, most recently we did our International Women's Day Festival. It was actually our biggest event. We had about 300 people, if I'm not wrong. But, um, you know, Accenture um, as well 
as Visa and Hogan and Lovells actually supported that event. And so we had, um, you know, company backing with that. Um, so um, corporates are getting more involved with it um, in terms of them instilling whatever changes they need to do in their companies. At least there, there is money that is being backed up from the company on a corporate level to cool. organizations like us, which I think is quite encouraging. Yeah, cool. I, we'll have a, I mean, not on this podcast, but I'd love to chat to you about it. More. There's a bunch of people I'm sure that you already know that you come yeah. to mind as you talk about this. And I, we didn't know each other in Singapore, maybe because I left um yeah 2014 but i noticed just linking up with you online there's a bunch we've got quite a few similar people in our circles so yeah um, i'm mindful of your time because i know you didn't have long today i know you've just pushed another meeting back uh, we're hit we're about to hit three uh, well 2 p.m 3 p.m my time um i have you got kind of 10 more minutes and i'll just go into some kind of rapid fire questions that are you know, yeah, I, I, I've got time on Reddit, so it's not a problem. All right, cool. I mean, just feel free to cut it short if we, if we I mean, it, th these questions are more, yeah, a bit, a bit more exploratory and, you know, one word answer or longer answer are fine. So um, you may have covered a bit of this, but you, what advice would you give to, you know, a, a teenager or a young adult today who's looking to build a career in animation? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I would say explore if you are looking to get into animation firstly identify what you're really good at but also more importantly identify what you're incredibly passionate about and apply for that role i have seen many students um, who have applied for roles that sometimes they think they're technically more um, better at but when you really see what they're passionate about and it actually comes out more in their work um, is what they are really passionate about so find what you're really passionate about understand what you're also really good at and apply for that role cool and if you were the person if you were able to give yourself some advice uh so you know if 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 uh, vicky of of 17 18 walked through the door now would you still get that advice or what would you give yourself advice back then if you could go back and, and say tell yourself anything that you needed to know i would say to myself not to be afraid and to start what um any business or any idea or project now because the older you get the more you realize you don't have any time it's interesting you say that i think i'd probably say something but actually when i look at what you've done you've done so much stuff so it doesn't it doesn't reflect through that you've ever been that afraid to do anything so um i'd love to have seen the stuff you would have done if you hadn't been scared because you know you've certainly done a lot already <laughs> um in the cinema space, Netflix, you obviously know, do you think cinemas are going to survive or is it all going to be Netflix and chill in the future? Cinemas are going to survive. There, there is still so much of uh, experience around going to the theater, I think, um, you know, from buying the popcorn to um, experiencing it. I think that cinemas will evolve, though. Um, I think that the cinematic experience is no longer just in the cinema, actually. It can be outside. Um, like what we do at Cartoons Underground, where we rent this gigantic outdoor screen, you come in and you get a drink and you can watch it outside. So I believe cinemas will exist. I think the experience is going to change and it's going to change um, to accommodate to people's tastes. Yeah, interesting answer. I, I, 
I mean, I, I spoke to a few people in the US uh, when I was promoting my movie and, you know, just some of the problems in cinemas and actually events being done, you know, boxing events. So, yeah, but I, I think you're right. The experience side is, I mean, you obviously know a lot more about it, but the way that media is put out there is changing so much. So, um, mm. cool. What are you, and a good segue for that, what are your three favorite movies of all time? Oh, wow. Uh, okay, my, my favorite movie is um, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So that's one. Um, the other one is um, Triplets of Bellevue. It's an animated movie. And then my third favorite movie um, is Hercules, um, the Disney version from, I think, 1990-something. I thought I was a movie buff and I don't think I've seen any of them. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> and that's obviously my lack of knowledge in the animation space in terms of, or viewing in the animation space. No. Um, and last question, if you could, if, um, if you could have dinner uh, or coffee with anyone um, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh my God. I love this question. So my, I, I really, really want to have dinner with David Attenborough. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a cool answer. He was just at Glastonbury, actually. I was just speaking to someone. He spoke at Glastonbury. Why David Attenborough? That's an interesting answer. Um, you know, I had a really good think about this question. And I was like, um, initially, I was like, maybe Neil Gaiman, uh, Amanda Palmer, because uh, I know they'll be amazing dinner guests. Um, but I feel like David Attenborough, you know, when, when he first started out, like he, he is just a pure storyteller. And the, the way that he talks about animals and, and you know, the, the life that he brings to them, um, it's, it's just incredible, you know. And then way back then, like now he has a film crew and everything. But back then he used to kind of do it on his own, maybe with a much, much smaller crew. And I think that's really um, like his passion for animals and the storytelling that he gives um, is very fascinating. And I think now he's going to turn like 95 or something or 96. And I, I heard that he recently just released um, an old audio tape of um, I think a tribe that he had dinner with in Borneo or something like that. And people are going to mix it into a DJ mix. And I'm like, man, even at 90 something, he's so freaking cool. Yeah, like I, yeah. Say, he, like I say, was it, he apparently spoke at Glastonbury a couple of weeks ago, whenever that was, last month, um, and was a massive hit. You know, he has, he, has, yeah. he has crossed every single generation. I, you know, he's certainly respected by people of his own age, and I think kids of young kids coming yeah. out. And his effort in, in turning the kind of tide of plastic is mad. I mean, it, it, I think he's personally, individually made a massive difference. Uh, I think plastic straws are now banned in the UK. I mean, there's... You know, it's just so much that's changed because of him. That's, um, yeah. Well, you, hopefully he's around for a bit longer. You never know. You might, you might still meet him. Oh, I really hope so. I should write to him sometime. <laughs> and final question. It kind of links in, I suppose, as you answered David Attenborough. But if you could bring back, bring back the, the T-Rex like they did in Jurassic Park, would, would you do it? Or, or would you leave, would you leave um, us? Uh, would you not let us intervene in nature? I, I would say bring back the T-Rex. <laughs> in, in, in a closed park or in an open forest? Um, I would say put it probably in a closed park until we realize it's um, uh, 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 effects on environment first. Um, but I, I do believe in uh, genetic manipulation, if you would say, um, because I've seen some good 
that I think has come out of it and also bad, but like some good, like, you know, the golden rice, for example, like there, there's a lot of things that I think it can solve if it's in the right hands and if it's uh, government governed in the right way. Yeah, cool. Well, if it's a T-Rex, you could maybe go and get your T-Rex license. That'd be a lot more fun than riding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that, that's of course the number one priority too. <laughs> cool. All right. It was short, um, but actually just final question. I mean, is there anything, uh, yeah, that, uh, to be honest, I could have spoke for another hour. I feel we're just getting into it. Maybe we can do another one at some point when we're face to face and have more time. But, uh, you know, in terms of the, this podcast and this chat, is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like to talk about? Um, before I'll, I'll just let you kind of finish off giving you details and how people can find out about the event. But, you know, in terms of any questions that I haven't asked that you'd like to, like to have been asked. Um, I, I think that, um, I think it's fine. I, 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 there's no other questions I can think of apart from at the end of it, you can ask about maybe what cartoons underground is and when it is okay. and you know what the program is. Yeah, cool. So let, let's, yeah, close off on, um, I'll let you just talk for a minute. Just just explain where people can find out more about you, where they can find out about Cartoons Underground and when it takes place. Sure. Cool. Um, so Cartoons Underground is happening on the 26th of October at the Cult Cafe, and we will be featuring about 15 films. Um, and we're really proud to say that six of them are from Southeast Asia, specifically from Singapore. We have three programs, uh, one being an international program, the second one being a woman in focus program, and the third one being a Singaporean local student film program. We will have also a judging session over there, so you can also get to meet the directors themselves. So come on down and check out Cartoons Underground. And you can find out more about Cartoons Underground at www.cartoonsunderground.com Awesome. And if people want to find out more about you to connect directly, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, what, what, what's the best way to, to get hold of Vicky? Uh, go, go shout. Um, I think best way to connect with me is either uh, via LinkedIn or you can find me at Vicky at cartoonsunderground.com. All right, great. And for anyone listening, I, I will put all your details in the, the description to the podcast as well. So, Great. Just, just don't put my social security number too. No, I won't do that. <laughs> I'll get that far. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, good to chat. And um, yeah, it's, you're an hour ahead of me, right? So it's, it's nearly beer o'clock there in, in Singapore. So um, I think you just got one more meeting that I've eaten into. But um, yeah, it's good to chat, Vicky, and hopefully catch up soon. Yeah, yeah, same here, Matt. Thanks for thinking about me. And I'm actually going to see Patty later. Oh, awesome. Well, say hello. I think he's, he's heading he's, off back to the UK. He's off to the UK tomorrow, right? So. Yeah, he's off to the UK tomorrow morning. Brilliant. Well, yeah, say, say goodbye and, and have a beer with him from me. I will. So sad. <laughs> I know. Same. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. See you later. All right. Thanks, Matt. I'd see you later. Okay, bye.